It's Thursday, February 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. These congressional hearings are quickly becoming must-watch TV. Michael Cohen gave his public testimony about all his dealings with President Trump, and there were some very big moments. Cohen testified that Trump is a racist, a con man, and a cheat. He accused the president of having knowledge of and directing hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. He said the president knew that there would be a WikiLeaks dump of DNC emails. And also that he knew about conversations about a Trump Tower Moscow project. Republicans all the while tried to paint Cohen as a liar who can't be trusted. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, was in the room for the testimony and helps break down the highlights. Next, another crazy story of a teacher having a sexual relationship with a student. 27-year-old Brittany Zamora was arrested after having sex with her 13-year-old student. They would send each other text messages, pass notes in class, and even had another student stand watch while they had sex in the classroom. It was all thanks to the boy's parents for noticing something different about their boy that brought this whole thing to light. My producer Miranda joins us for the details. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. My loyalty to Mr. Trump has cost me everything. My family's happiness, friendships, my law license, my company, my livelihood, my honor, my reputation, and soon my freedom. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Michael Cohen was testifying before the House Oversight Committee. These congressional testimonies are starting to become must-watch TV from the Facebook thing, from the Brett Kavanaugh hearings to this. You were in the room for all the testimony. Just give us a sense of the overall vibe, all the feelings that were happening, because things got heated many times. Yeah, if you think it was hours and hours, imagine doing the whole thing on a tiny chair in the corner of the room. It was felt like forever. <laughs> there was, at times, tense vibe. The vibe at other times was laughter. I mean, the, Michael Cohen made jokes, but there was surely moments in which he delivered some really damning information about President Trump and some moments when Republicans got really heated trying to undermine his credibility. For all of the testimony that we did get, there was plenty of smoke, but no gun, really. There was a lot of stuff that could lead to more investigations. He did also say that there was this possible other investigation that we don't necessarily know about yet. But he started off very strong. He called the president a racist, a con man, a cheat. I am ashamed that I chose to take part in concealing Mr. Trump's illicit acts rather than listening to my own conscience. I am ashamed because I know what Mr. Trump is. He is a racist, he is a con man, and he is a cheat. That was right at the opening statements, so he started off very strong. He came out not really uh, holding back any punches. He was quite damning of the president. As you played in that clip, called him a racist and then went on later in the testimony to describe exact conversations he had with the president in which he said the president revealed himself to have a very low opinion of African-Americans, to think that they were all stupid, to insult people who were minorities and of color. It was not something that was that, was, that he was holding back at, at any point. What was the biggest takeaway for you? 
I think the biggest takeaway was his detailing of the president's tax issues, that the president had maybe misrepresented the value of things in his taxes, and that the president was aware that he was at risk of an audit if his taxes became public. We have spent more than two years now speculating about why the president won't release his income taxes. And this was a real insight. It's because public eyes make him nervous about scrutiny over what's in them. There was all sorts of weird stuff that happened. He said that the uh, president inflated his assets when it served his purposes or deflated his assets to reduce real estate taxes. It was also he can really play the game on that. And one of the funny things that came up, Michael Cohen said that the president even directed him to find a straw bidder to purchase a portrait of him because he wanted that to be the highest priced portrait that sold that afternoon. So, I mean, one of the funnier moments of that, but just how the president would play with his assets to his benefit, really. He detailed what it was like trying to be a fixer, the guy who inflated costs, the guy who made sure that the at least appearance that the president was very wealthy. I thought another interesting moment was when he had an exchange about whether or not the president had explicitly asked him to lie to Congress. And he said, well, the president speaks in code and I've been with him a decade and I know the code. And that was an interesting moment where he was sort of repeating word for word things the president had told him in a tone in a way that I think those of us who listen to him familiar. Yeah. And that's a really important distinction, too, because there was that BuzzFeed news report that came out that said the president specifically told him to lie to Congress. And Michael Cohen almost defended him in that moment. Uh, I mean, not completely, but he kind of, you know, he said he never said that stuff specifically. It was these codes. And And that's why the special counsel disputed that account, because he didn't necessarily say the words. And I think that it was interesting, the number of sort of online internet conspiracy theories that Michael Cohen shot down. There is no Russia tape. There is no illicit tape of the president and Melania in an elevator. He doesn't have a love child. He never defaulted on child support. He never did drugs. All of these things. Cohen was like, no, 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 no. None of that happened. So that is an interesting piece, too. If the internet speculators were looking for confirmation of those things instead from a guy willing to say some pretty damning things saying that that those were not true. Let's take a step back real quick and and talk about the Republicans throughout this hearing. They were painting Michael Cohen as uh, his own con man, you know, his own lie. He was he was a liar. They were berating him every single time they went up. They were telling him, hey, you're just out for a book deal. You want to make money. But then again, he does do this. He did defend the president a couple times. Obviously, they hit a lot of times about him lying to Congress beforehand. But what was your sense? What did, what, did he seem like he was being truthful this time? Uh, his credibility is at issue throughout this whole thing. He did seem to be contrite to acknowledge he had made mistakes. He gave a very convincing argument, I think, that he had erred and he was trying to rectify some of his personal failings. There is going to be a lot of Republicans saying that if the guy lied once, why should we believe him? Now, at one point, we saw Representative Meadows say, you know, I don't believe any jury would believe this guy, which is interesting when you sort of like move it over to the idea of a court of law. Criminal associates testify about other criminal associates all the time. Sometimes juries believe them and sometimes they don't. This was someone who maybe got closer to the president than anyone who wasn't related to him and giving some pretty damning accounts of his time with the president. Are you saying that all the reports that you were paid in some estimates over $4 million, to have access and understanding of the Trump administration. You're saying that all of that was just paid to you just because you're a nice guy. Well, I am a nice guy, but more importantly... I would beg to differ that the record reflects that you're not a nice guy. 
you know, for all the stuff that Michael Cohen has done, good and bad, I mean, he was taking it from everybody when it was their turn to come up. That's right. I mean, and you, what you couldn't hear in that exchange in the recording that we could hear in the room was a chuckle. That was kind of a laugh. People said, oh, ha ha ha. Nice guy. I think that Cohen was trying repeatedly to deflect some of that by saying either I'm really sorry or like making a joke sometimes when it got really heated. But it was really a trying of his credibility. And we're really going to have to find out in the next days, weeks, months, year, whether or not the American people believe the things he had to say. One of the other few things that were really big was that Michael Cohen basically said that the president knew that the DNC email dumps were coming, that Roger Stone called him and they were on speakerphone and they talked about WikiLeaks. Mr. Stone told Mr. Trump that he had just gotten off the phone with Julian Assange and that Mr. Assange told Mr. Stone that within a couple of days there would be a massive dump of emails that would damage Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mr. Trump responded by stating to the effect, wouldn't that be great? This is one of the more damning pieces that Michael Cohen testified about the president. Talking about that that phone call, I think we're going to hear a lot more about this, especially since Roger Stone has been charged and, and is presumably going to stand trial at some point for some of his statements regarding WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. Roger Stone came out right afterwards and said that was not true. He had never had a conversation with Julian Assange. This is going to be one of those situations about which, which one of these guys that don't have the best credibility do you believe? And Cohen's going to have the benefit of being someone who says, look, I'm admitting what I've done is wrong and I'm apologizing in, in saying that. The hush money was also a big thing, basically saying the president directed the whole thing. Is that his signature? That is Donald Trump's signature. So let me make sure I understand. Donald Trump wrote you a check out of his personal account while he was serving as president of the United States of America to reimburse you for hush money payments to Ms. Clifford. Is that what you are telling the American people today? Yes, Mr. Chairman. He brought a $35,000 check signed by Donald Trump on August 1st to, this was his evidence saying that the president was in on it the whole time. And I think that one of the keys here, this piece of a puzzle, a bigger puzzle that the House Oversight is trying to put together is that in May of 2018, President Trump filed ethics disclosures he's required by law to file that disclosed paying those payments back. And then in June of the prior year, when he had filed those same filings, it did not include that he owed Michael Cohen this money. And for that reason, the committee is likely to argue that President Trump filed false reports, that here they have a check of him paying Michael Cohen back. And yet, despite that, he was filing reports that said he didn't owe Michael Cohen any money. That's something that the committee was really sort of pulling at, and I think is going to keep pulling at going forward. Michael Cohen also implicated the president's family in knowing things that were going around with the Trump Tower in Moscow. He said that his son basically told him, hey, the meeting's all set up. And, you know, he said that the president would constantly say that he's not capable of setting these types of meetings without talking to other people and that everything was run by President Trump. Yeah, there was some angry tweets from Don 
Jr., Donald Trump's son, probably because Michael Cohen testified that the president thought that Don Jr. had no judgment and that he was not to be trusted with important business decisions. Cohen was saying that in an effort to say, look, Don Jr. would have never set up a meeting with anyone, Russian or otherwise, without writing it past his dad. It was a little bit of insight into the dynamic of that family, which we don't see a lot because there aren't a lot of people who get to see that dynamic who are willing to, to speak publicly about it. For a long time now, everybody has always referred to Michael Cohen as the president's former attorney and longtime fixer. That was one of the things that always stuck to me. It's, you know, where are all the secrets? What's going on? What did he have to do with the president? There was actually a moment where Michael Cohen said that he uh, responded to over 500 different times where the president asked him to handle something. How many times did Mr. Trump ask you to threaten an individual or entity on his behalf? Quite a few times. 50 times? More. A hundred times? More. Two hundred times? More. Five hundred times? Probably. Over the, over the ten years? Over the ten years, he sure. asked you... And when you say threaten, I'm talking with litigation or um, an argument with... Um, Intimidation. A, a, a nasty reporter that has, is writing an article. This happened over the course of a decade. These are two men that knew each other for a long time. Obviously, they, knew, they know a lot of each other's secrets. And the question is now, what do we do with all this testimony now? A lot of people are saying the Democrats are going to use a lot of this stuff for basis of a possible impeachment, although nobody signaled, you know, Nancy Pelosi hasn't signaled that any of that's going to be coming. Republicans are obviously just attacking constantly the credibility of Michael Cohen, but not defending the president on the substance of what's being said. So in the end, what do we do with all this information we have now? Well, I think regardless of what the long-term road has ahead, we are a long way away from impeachment proceedings in the House. House Democrats have said privately that they are not super eager to try to impeach the president, that they really need a smoking gun. Impeachment is a political process. It is not a criminal process. You need overwhelming national support to do it. And so that's going to mean that it's very difficult. I think that we're going to see Congress trying to digest this testimony, compare it to other statements from other people who have testified before Congress to see how it jives with other things that have been said. Looking, we saw a lot of members asking Cohen, where would I find that document? Who else could testify to this, clearly signaling this is just the beginning and, and not even close to the end of an investigatory process. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for being in the room there for Michael Cohen's testimony and reporting back to us. Happy to, to give you all the scoops. You are a monster. You are a pedophile. You're a child molester. Do you understand me? Can you um, explain to me? Can we meet, you know, to talk about this? Ms. Is there something we can settle out, you know, outside? Ms. Zamora, do me a favor. Do not call me back again. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. I find this next story very interesting. I kind of do this to myself. I, I do enjoy true crime. I watch a lot of the stuff like on Netflix and documentaries. I've seen Abducted in Plain Sight is the big one that's going around right now. Mm -hmm. But this next story is about a teacher who had sex with a student, with her own student. Her name is Brittany Zamora. This happened last year. She was arrested last March. But we're getting all sorts of new information now through court records and investigation and videos that the police have done with the victims and Brittany Zamora herself. Miranda, walk us through what happened and how this teacher began a sexual relationship with her 13-year-old student. I don't even really know where to start with this. There was an in-school app 
that the teacher, Brittany Zamora, encouraged the students to send her a message saying she was going to be really bored at school and she wanted to talk with her students socially. Yeah. And so they sent her messages and one of her students, uh, they're withholding his identity for obvious reasons, but he's 13 years old and he sent her a note and it turned really quickly sexual and flirty. And this whole relationship started sometime around Christmas. And he says he doesn't remember exactly how it started, but he remembers their first kiss. He was saying goodbye to her. After class one day, everyone else was in a parent-teacher meeting in her classroom, and she grabbed him by the shirt, pulled him in for a hug, and then kissed him on the mouth. Weird part of the story is just how out in the open a lot of it was. They had sex multiple times in her car and once in the classroom while another male student was keeping watch, yeah. apparently. Why would somebody do this to a child? She's very attractive. She has a husband. She's 27. She's very young. And... You know, she starts this illicit relationship with a 13 year old. Their messages quickly went from the school app to Instagram. They were sending each other DMs. They were sending each other nude photos and sexy videos and things of that nature. And that was their primary mode of texting and messaging with each other. And here's how they got busted is the parents were genius and they installed something called the Sentry app which is a security app to monitor your kid's phone. And either they have security words plugged in or the app alerts them when certain words are written. And so the word baby set off a red flag and that's how they were able to uncover the treasure trove of messages. Yeah, all the messages revolved around like, oh baby, I miss you. I want to see you again. If I wish I didn't have to work because I could spend all my time having sex with you. Yikes. The 13-year-old boy told police that she said she wanted to give him a blowjob and that his my stuff was really big, things like that. And they had to press the little boy. Well, what does stuff mean? You know, tell us. So and use the right words. Yeah, use the right words. And the way it all happened too. the first time they had sex, she messaged him and said, hey, I want to show you how much I love you. He waited till after midnight to sneak out of his grandparents house. And she was waiting down the street in her car and she picked him up. They had sex that night and her husband was out on a fishing trip or something. He texted her and said, hey, I'm on my way home, honey. And then she's like, oh, I got to go home. Then she went back the very next day to do it all over again. And the yeah. husband texted her and said, I'm on my way home. And then she had to leave immediately. One of the craziest things that happened with this also is the parents have now filed a lawsuit for $2.5 million against Zamora, against the school itself. One of the things they alleged was that the principal knew about it and did nothing. The 13-year-old and the teacher were playing with each other during school, like uh, during class, she'd set up a movie and it was nice and dark and then they would touch each other, things like that. Students told the principal and what did the principal do? The principal came and said, you guys need to stop having these things going on. He, he didn't know what it was. He said, just stop with the inappropriate gossip. He yeah, didn't think it rumors. was real. He, he thought it was them about rumors. He thought it was nonsense. So he, and then the teacher even came crying and having a panic attack in his office. And the principal believed the panic attack was due to him yelling at her students. Not He never fathomed that it was because something was actually going on between her and the student. This thing escalated to the point where Brittany Zamora finally told her husband what was going on, although it's unclear exactly what she told him. It seems like he only knew about the text messages, maybe. So she called the boy's parents and said, hey, it was a big mistake. We need to keep this under wraps. She puts her husband on the phone and the <laughs> husband is talking to the boy's dad and the boy's dad is telling him, get out of this relationship. Stop defending her and stop incriminating yourself. You have to leave her. Daniel Zamora, to his point, has pledged to stay with his wife, though. The parents are furious. They're saying that the kid's childhood is effing gone. 
the boy's dad told yeah. them that he's only 13. It's a crazy, outrageous story. While it did happen to the boy, and that's very unfortunate, the parents really, kudos to them for noticing something was wrong. They said that he would start closing his door to his bedroom. All of a sudden, he had an interest in girls, and it was just out of character for him. So they started probing deeper. They put that app on there, and they found out everything. She's due in court in May, so the story will continue. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.